Hello, hello, hello. Hello, everybody. Um, or zero people, whoever's watching right now. Uh, my name is Mike Mills, and I'm a mortgage banker here in the DFW area. And my team and I focus on helping local agents grow their business by providing insight to all aspects of real estate. Um, we can show you how to better your better market yourself, provide referrals, great referrals to real estate uh, related vendors in the area that take amazing care of your clients, and provide some simple tips and tricks to streamline your business so you can help get more buyers and sellers. So if you'd like to have a conversation about your business or what we can do to help, please don't hesitate to reach out. And of course, if you have any buyers need to get pre-approved to purchase a house, we'd love to take care of them as well. So today um, on the, this is my 43rd episode of the Texas Real Estate and Finance Podcast. I am very, very happy to welcome one of my really good friends from White House, Tennessee and a fellow branch manager here at Verity Mortgage, Mr. Donnie Eden. See, there's so much production value here, buddy. So much production value. What's up? How you doing? I've never, I've never gotten that big of a applause when I came on board. <laughs> so why not? You should. I mean, it's you're you're a very important person. You know, I mean, that's uh, I'm I'm wearing. I told you earlier, I'm wearing my Def Leppard shirt. I don't have a Motley Crue shirt. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, that's maybe one you're gonna have to buy for me. But this is the close to my '80s hairband rock I could get for you. I would take I would take Kiss. I was my two big ones was Kiss and Molly Crew. I was hundred percent. You know, my wife was a big Kiss fan, which is odd. I don't I don't know very it's many. Gene Simmons. It's Gene yeah. Simmons. Everybody loves that was the Gene whole Simmons. thing. Oh yeah. So uh, I want to start with asking you about uh, your Vols, your your Tennessee Volunteers. They're in the Sweet Sixteen. How you feeling, buddy? No doubt. Out of the whole state of Texas, is there any teams still in the Sweet Sixteen in Texas? I have no clue because I don't pay attention to college basketball. So, but, uh, um, what did Darth Vader do last night for dinner? I bet you know that. <laughs> well, Darth Vader's dead, sir. So he's not doing <laughs> anything. But uh, no, I I just uh, you know I, it's, I don't have anything against college basketball. It's just you know you pick and choose your battles, right? I'm usually at a practice uh, five nights a week and at a volleyball or a baseball tournament. And in my younger years, when I wasn't chasing my children around all the time, then I certainly was a little bit more heavily involved in uh, watching the Cowboys and the Rangers. And, you know, but even college basketball, I just, I don't know. I've never been much of a college sports fan in general in my whole life. I know that that's a big thing for you, but yeah, for me, it was for never sure. everything. Never it, I wake up in the morning to Rocky Top. It's but your whole no, world. they're having a good season, and we do have a great uh, ex Tech University of Texas uh, out of Austin head coach Rick Barnes. Oh yeah, you got old Ricky Barnes. Yeah, Ricky Barnes, he's doing great. Uh, we, we lost our point guard in the SEC tournament. Uh, that's we've struggled with that, but I mean, you know, pretty good. And you know, you would think <laughs> the the FAU Florida Atlantic beat Purdue. Which we were like, we you know, you see the brackets, you see where they are, you think, oh my gosh, you know, Purdue, they're in good shape, whatever, and then they beat them. So it's either good, like, oh, it's just FAU, or wait, they beat Purdue, you know. So who knows what we're gonna have tonight, eight, eight uh, o'clock Central Time. Yeah. Yes, yes, eight p.m. Big game. I, I mean, it's I not football, but it's just something to do while there's no football. Well, here I'll tell you that if if uh, I. It, Anytime I get involved in any type of sports whatsoever, um, I'm usually gambling <laughs> if I'm if I'm if I care about it enough. Except for the Cowboys, I'll sit there and watch them. Of course, without having to put money on it, I don't bet on the Cowboys. But if I were going to bet on the NCAA tournament, it would be the best type of game to bet on because it's exciting. Like oh. there's no doubt it's exciting. 
right at the last minute. You're up by 10. Oh, this is great, man. We're making money. Yeah. Yes. Well, that is a little known fact about me as, as emotional and high energy that I am. I hate any type of gambling except the golf course. Any kind of gambling, it makes my stomach hurt. I'm meaner than hell. My wife hates me. I mean, it's ter- I'm a terrible gambler. Well, but if you're gambling on the golf course, it's the same thing, right? <clears throat> yeah. But guess who's in control when I gamble on the golf course? You. Right. I don't right. want to gamble on some no on somebody else's performance out there, 18 year old kid, whether or not he got a good night's sleep or God knows what he did the two days. But, you know, I gamble on me or even cards, roulette, craps. It's chance. Like I think in my and that's confidence, maybe, although I'm not the best golfer in the world. I play with people that are pretty even with me, but I, I will bet on me any day. Right. Is that. Is that too cocky? Uh, no, sir. I don't think that's okay. cocky at all. I, I would call that confidence in yourself. I think that's great. Okay. Um, well, I, and, just, and I, I get the sentiment. I know what I can do. Right. That don't mean I do it every time. But, right. Yeah. Well, um, so I, I had you on here today because I want to chat about all the fun little market stuff that's happening in our world. And since we are both uh, knee deep in this stuff every single day, and we have our own side conversations about this all the time, but yeah. you know, we'll figure we'll do this uh, publicly on these type of deals. But so I want to start with, you know, obviously the Fed raised rates yesterday, um, another quarter of a point, which um, I think there was some general sentiment that they may actually start to pause and not actually do that. But of course, that's not what happened, um, which ultimately is probably a, a good thing, um, I think. But I want your thoughts. What do you, what do you think just well, in general, before we get into the mortgage impacts, what do you think just about the Fed raising rate and what all, what all they needed to do or didn't need to do? It depends on which hat I'm wearing, right? Okay. <clears throat> so put on my mortgage guy hat, right? 22 kind of sucked. Rates went through the roof. Nobody with a three, four, or even 5% interest rate is lining up saying, hey, Donnie, let's get this thing refied. I want to move it to a 15 or right. get the cash out, right? So from my mortgage guy hat, I'm thinking, man, just quit so we can move on. Although right. another potential really good thing is if they totally wreck the whole monetary system, our whole economics at all, we will be in a very painful recession. And Mike, we all know what happens when we go in a recession. Hey, listen, Uncle, Uncle Sam's got this covered, man. Your country is here for you. We're going to bring rates down and get that covered. So it could help me in both ways, depending on how it goes. Now, let's put my grandpa hat on. Okay. okay. Grandpa, really wise guy. You know, he's got a lot of experience. He are you talking about yourself food. again or are you talking about your grandpa? Not. Whatever, anybody's grandpa. So wise guy, you know, he knows they give good financial advice. They would probably say something along the lines of, hey, man, the price of corn last four years has gone up 40% total. That's ridiculous. We got to stop that. I went to go fill my fuel up. I went to buy some whatever. And they they feel it. These these people that really pay attention, not just eggs because you see it on news. But I talked to a golf cart guy, shocker earlier today and he was talking about he said i'm not seeing any relief on the price of things that i buy so that's the ppi 
the, the producer's price index. Then you got the consumers, which is when he sells it to the consumers. He said, I'm not seeing any breaks on that whatsoever. I'm not seeing signs of it. It's not coming. So with that hat on, I think we got to go further, you know, and, and we and, and our good friend Barry Habib says we don't need to go further. We just need to let this take hold. Right. What right. we've done over the last seven or eight months. So it really depends on which hat you've got on. But to be quite frank, I think a quarter was applicable and and probably needed uh, to some extent because, you know, a lot of people give our Federal Reserve, the people in charge, each individual, a lot of grief about you're being stupid. You're looking in the rearview mirror. You're not looking forward and you're you don't understand what's going on. Right. They know what's going on now. Is some of this political and we're trying to force ourselves in one direction or another? Maybe some of that, but they're smart. They know what they're doing. So depends on which hat you got on. Well, part of the issue, I think, with with the rates going up like they have is that there's two things that they're trying to accomplish. Well, really, one main thing that they say, even though they'll they'll mention it, but they don't say it outright, but they want people to lose their jobs. I mean, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get the unemployment rate up so so people will lose their jobs. Right. And and that's kind of rough, right? I mean, you don't want to root for people losing their jobs. It's not a good thing. But one of the things that I've read recently about it that I've done a few things on is a good portion of the inflation that we've experienced has actually come from corporate profit margins, not from the actual cost of it going up. Because when you look at now – People say, you know, the, well, their their profits have gone through the roof. That's true. They have, but they've gone up because it's it's a when you have a higher dollar amount, you're going to have a higher dollar amount of profit. That's just how that works. Right. So you can't judge it off that. But what you can judge it off of is the margin because the margin is a percentage of what you're selling it for versus what the cost is. And that has gone up pretty heavily. And there's, there's, there's you know, several economists, different different people looking at it different ways that have said it's anywhere between 30 and in some places, 50% of the total inflation that we've felt has come from that. So when your guy is telling you that he hasn't seen it come down, I don't doubt that because until they start turning down, I mean, there was a, there was something I saw online where uh, Starbucks actually, they were doing one of their sec calls with their earnings calls that they have to do because they're a publicly traded company. And they were talking about on the call how they were going to add an extra nickel to this, an extra dime to that or whatever, because not because their costs went up, but because people would pay it and they know that they would pay it. So they just went ahead and raised it anyway. And look, I'm all for, you got to make your money. Like I get it, but there's got to be some sort of a, if we're going to raise rates to drive people unemployed, you know, get them unemployed, because that's really what we're trying to do or what the Fed's trying to do. We got to at least examine the other side of it a little bit and say, well, okay, well, how much how much fluff is being built into this corporate profit margin and what do we need to do to try to get that under control? Right. And and to your point and and to circle back around and give full color to what Mike said about the the Federal Reserve knows that if they tighten things up, they will they tighten things up, people will lose their jobs. And right. I'll give a little more color to that. It's, it's pretty simple. So you got a business, right? I'm getting in the center here. You got a business and it makes X amount of profit, revenue, whatever per year. When rates go up on not only the stuff they're doing, but the things they're buying and the people they're buying from, their rates are going up and it really starts to tighten. 
that profit margin where it gets smaller and smaller and smaller, the head executives will say, look, we've got to still keep this margin for our investors. So we just have to cut fixed costs, which, by right. the way, is a great it's a whole a whole podcast is fixed costs. So even in your personal budget, understanding fixed costs versus uh, variable cost is key. But they are going to shut down those fixed costs as fast as possible. And that is losing jobs. Yeah. And that creates pain because then that person goes on unemployment. They can't buy the things they need. So the golf cart guy, for example, when people were spending their uh, extra money at the end of the month, they don't have that to go buy golf carts and all the stuff on Amazon right. and whatnot. And it's just a, it's just a snowball effect that totally brings the pain that literally they are working to create. Now, can they create enough pain to where it's it's um, uh, stable, where it just kind of shrinks and everything comes back to normal? That's when you hear people talk about a soft landing versus creating enough pain where you get to a place where everything just collapses. And basically the news you heard from uh, New York City and California and these banks and whatnot collapsing, it will be that on a broader scale. We don't think that's going to happen. Do not go and pull your money out of the bank right now because you're FDI insured unless you're over 250. And on top of that, the bank that you probably bank with does not invest their money the way these two institutions did. Well, they do, but not not as recklessly as the other one that those well, two that's did. What I'm yeah. They yeah. invest it in more conservative. Yeah. In other words, you're not shooting for the fences on every dollar that you invest. Because remember, banks do not have your money in the counter at the teller. They yeah. invest ninety, roughly ninety percent of it. Yeah. Well, in in my whole thing about the. Yeah the inflation issue that they're, that we're dealing with is like, when you look at, so like one of the things, and we'll, we're going to show some slides in a minute to give more credit to our guy, Mr. Habib, who we always watch in, uh, at, um, uh, what are the, what are they called? MBS highway. But, um, but you know, when you look at the, they talk about services, cause that's the one when you listen to Powell talking yesterday, he was talking about how they're really looking at the services inflation part that they're trying to get down. Right. And, you know, when you look at different people being laid off of jobs, like we had a, we had layoffs in our industry way early on, right? Because we felt the pain in the mortgage industry and in the real estate industry before everybody else. And I still don't think the pain is fully kicked into the markets just yet, but we felt all that. We were kind of like the canary in the coal mine to a certain right. extent because we were dealing with that and had to go through it. Well, take the airline industry, for example. I don't know how many people have flown lately, but if you go fly right now, number one is most of the flights are overbooked. So they're having extra people that they're booking on the flights. There are less flights available. And so the cost of that flight is now going up because they, they laid off people as well. And they have their profit, by the way, is still very good, but they are limiting on what the amount of services that they're providing. And so even though the cost is staying high, it's staying high and the demand is staying high because there's fewer availability of services. So when I have 10 less flights to pick from and I only got four now, right? That I can now choose. The cost is still the same. It has not gone down, but the availability to take different times and go in different places. And, and, you know, the, everybody's being 
paid in hotel vouchers and everything else to stick around for two more days. And then they'll, they'll give you a credit, which you just have to use at a later date. But, but an industry like that, it's a services and that's a travel industry, which is part of the inflation that we're dealing with. But part of the inflation from that is coming from the fact that they have laid people off, but they're still charging the same because they're doing less flights so they can keep their margins. One of my favorite things about how we've got, because I mean, back in the day, Mike, I mean, a plane was luxury. I mean, you had leg room. Heck, you could smoke in the seat. Oh, yeah. I mean, it brought you a big plate of food and whatnot. Now, I I noticed this over the last couple of years where they're streamlining their, again, fixed cost. The person, male or female, that's checking you in your bags as soon as you walk from outside is also, as soon as they check everybody's bags, they run to the gate. And then they sit up at the counter, like, okay, the flight leaves at this time. And, oh, you have a change. All you need to do, Donnie, you lost your boarding pass. Here's another boarding pass. Show me your ID. And then they run over to the door. And then they say, okay, uh, A1 through 17, please move forward. And then they do it all. They are literally doing all of it. Yep. All of it. They're doing all, all things. And that is exactly what you're talking about. Is it labor shortage or is it profit grabbing? Yes, it's profit grabbing. That's exactly no what it is. Um, all right, so you brought up the banking stuff. Uh, so I want to get into that with you as well. So just to recap for everybody what's happened so far is you've got essentially four, you know, there might be some other ones that are that are underlying a little bit that we don't know about yet, but there's four significant bank issues that have come up in the last, let's call it two weeks, right? So you have SVB, which is Silicon Valley Bank, which is based in California. Uh, everybody hates California, so yeah. um, it's out there. Then you have Signature Bank, which is based in New York City, which nobody likes that either, right? And then you've got Silvergate, which was a bank that was heavily invested into crypto. So there's another little avenue for you there. And then, um, and then you have Credit uh, Credit Suisse. So Credit Suisse is not a U.S. I mean, they do business in the U.S., but they're not a U.S. bank. They're not based here. They're based in Switzerland. Um, and each one of them have kind of experienced different things. Now, I know a ton about Sil- Silicon Valley Bank. I don't know a bunch about what happened with Signature, but I know it's similar. But just a couple highlights on what happened with Silicon Valley Bank so everybody knows. So first off, um, they had been warned multiple times before the regulators took over with some of their practices of, inve- of investing. They would have been given essentially, you know, basically like, hey, guys, y'all are getting a little risky here. You need to kind of pull back or you know, however much you're lending out, you don't have enough deposits in order to cover that. So you need to make sure that, you know, you be a little more conservative on that. Of course, that's just an email and a slap on the wrist. Nobody's doing anything about it. Um, second thing is, is right before regulators took over the, uh, I want to say, I think I read it was like 60% of their upper level, upper level management got millions of dollars in bonuses that were paid out the day before regulators took over. Uh, the third thing was, is that their board, their board of directors, the vast majority of them sold anywhere between 20 to 40% of their stock the day before everybody took over. So they knew this was coming. They absolutely knew it was coming. They cashed out regulars, regulators showed up. The other little twist on Silicon Valley bank specifically is that most of the deposit holders. So I say most of them, this was a what I would call like a VC bank where venture capitalists were funding uh, tech startups to in that area to kind of, you know, to help them grow their business or whatever. Well, a lot of these VC guys, venture capitalists, money that's sitting in these banks, 
They also have very strong connections to the federal government, congressmen, uh, the Fed, because they have a lot of money. And when you have a lot of money, you get a lot of access, including the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, who had quite a bit of money in Silicon Valley Bank when it went under. So to have over the weekend, the Fed come in and say, not only are they going to ensure what they were, the FDIC is allowing for, which is that $250,000 limit, but they were going to ensure everything okay so there was no recourse for making all those bad bets for what they did what do you think yeah i mean i mean we can bitch about this bank and how the government jumped in all day long but it yes. really doesn't matter and i'm not i'm not discounting well, here's why it matters we, though because the fed has been working so hard to curb inflation and they've been running billions of dollars off their balance sheet and we just added 300 million dollars to their balance sheet or billion overnight I agree 100%, but that, that's what I was getting at. So the thing you have to understand, and that is why some banks are better than others, right? Yes. They, it's it's all about the risk. And, yeah. and you think, I think about that with my personal things that I buy and invest in and do. Um, what is the risk? I mean, is it going to make it where you have this much money and now you have this much, or is it going to make it where you might have to eat ramen noodles or, you know, what kind of deal, what is the risk on there? And most banks have a person that's in charge of managing risk. <laughs> the best part of this whole deal is I'm here's the, what I think happened. They fired their risk manager. Uh -huh. They said, we don't need you anymore. Right. And what I think happened was the risk manager went in and said, Hey guys, um, fancy board meeting. I hope you are doing well and everything, but we might need to talk about how much we're invested in these, you know, long-term bonds that had lemonade stands essentially, yeah. right? Just all these, man, I want to be a taco company, you know, and, and all these people are taking this capital and investing it into their business, which wouldn't you love to know what some of these people spent their money on? Was it things that helped them create revenue or was it, what is the, what is that movie where they, uh, uh, I think it's, is it the off, not the office parks and rec where yes. the guy opens his own company and he just has pool tables in there and pinball machines. It's like, yeah, we're very open, you know, whatever. And we're just cool here. And like, well, what do you do to, Great revenue. I don't know. We hadn't figured that out yet. So I wonder <laughs> what this money actually went to. Yeah. And then, then the the guy went up and said, "Hey guys, we need to talk about this." I said, "Yeah, you're fired, man. You're you're not you're not going the way we are." And they didn't even hire somebody that was on their side. Even you know, they fired the person they didn't agree with. And this is speculation, by the way. Yeah. Um. But but the risk side of it is what you've got to look at. So when you think. I need to call my banker and see what I need to do here. That's the difference in your bank. And I can almost guarantee it. And, and these banks that went bad is their risk was through the roof. And to be quite frank, there's a good chance that they knew that it never was going to fulfill uh, what they hoped. They, or maybe they, I don't know if they hoped it or if they down deep knew that it wasn't going to fulfill, but the bank was lending it out, so who cares? You know, let's take it. The biggest problem they had is that they had a lot of their – so, you know, you have your deposits, and based on your deposits, you can lend out X amount of dollars, you know, the your your reserve requirements that you have to have. But, uh, but then the rest of the money, 
you try to put into other investments that are going to help right. uh, bring in revenue for the bank so you can continue to lend so you can grow your reserves. Well, they had put a lot of their money into long-term bonds. And the problem with long-term bonds when rates go up is that the value of those go into the floor. And so they didn't have enough to cover because they were so over leveraged in that particular, because the idea is that you got to spread it out. Like you got to put it in a bunch of different places. So that way, if there's a crash or if there's something that goes down, usually, you know, like if you're in bonds and then you're in stocks, well, if stocks go down, bond goes up, bonds go down, stocks go up. You know, that's just kind of how a lot of the stuff in the market works. And so that was the problem is they were so heavily invested into that one facet and they weren't backstopping themselves in other places that when the Fed started raising rates, they didn't have enough to cover. And well, so- and, Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. That, that was pretty much it. Well, and, and that goes back again, Mike, here's that word again, risk, right? right? When people are in the stock market, it is a riskier stance. You know, like a CD at your bank. You know you can walk in and you are guaranteed to have more money next year, next six months or next two years than what you gave them. It is guaranteed, but it's smaller, right? Yes. So that's the more conservative risk. Well, right. you go into, uh, look, it's a great time to bring this up. So Mike, he loves aliens and Darth Vader and cryptocurrency Crypto, and, yes. and all, yes. this, all this stuff. He's explained a lot to me. I said, man, you know, I don't, I don't want to dive in too awful deep, but I want to dive in enough so I follow it. Now, you remember, I'm a terrible gambler, so $100 is a lot for me to gamble. Right. So I put 100 bucks in Bitcoin. I went to this mm -hmm. cute little app, and they just said, hey, Donnie, thanks for using Put your money here and all this stuff. And I looked up, and I was like, all of a sudden, I had $100 of Bitcoin. Right. right? This is about a year and a half, maybe. Year and a half. What is it? It's highest probably. Year and a half. Year yeah. and a half. He said, oh my God, it's going to double by the end of the year. It's going to be great. I said, okay, great. I'm in. Because if it does, I'm sold 100%. I'm easily excited. Right. This is a risky, we're talking about risk here. Correct. I currently have $44.38 in that yes. account. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so I could have bought a hundred dollar CD. I'm making our point, Mike. Yeah. I could have bought a hundred dollar CD and oh. I would have a hundred and three dollars and five cents right now. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's all just where you want to play with it. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. What is your risk tolerance? What, what is it that you, that is not going to keep you from having to take three Tylenol PM before you go to sleep? Cause you're like, Oh, I'm just worried to death about it. Yeah. But, but the thing that, that the point we're driving home really more than anything is these banks were not risk savvy. They were risk fly by the seat of your pants, let it all go. And at the end of the day, they didn't have a risk manager and all that. The travesty in this is, Mike, if our business failed and let's just say some way. Yeah. Anybody bailing us out. News, if we right. got it on the national news. They wouldn't do squat for no, Mike and Don. No, no, we're, we're we're out on our own on that. No, well, absolutely. and the thing too is that you know when you look, and the reason why I don't think at this point. I mean, granted, anything can change, and and stuff certainly can adjust this opinion. But right now, I don't think we're in a banking crisis, and the reason no, being, I agree is when you look at the Fed and they opened up this, you know, I, I think it's like a lending portal or some crap. I don't remember what it is, but basically. 
which is ridiculous that they're lending money to these banks at a lower rate than what they set their rate at. Their rate's at five right now. They're lending at four, which is unbelievable. But either way. dollars or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But when you look at so far, the banks that have taken advantage of it, they don't say individual banks. They just show the regions where the money's coming from. The only regions that is pulling money is California and New York. That's it. So you don't see other banks tapping into this to pull money back out because they don't need it. Right. So so that just means that those banks need it because they got into trouble and made stupid decisions. And I disagree with the fact that they're getting bailed out, but whatever, it is what it is. Um, but it's not a systemic issue, at least, at least not right now. It doesn't it doesn't well, indicate. Our government is good, Mike. Our government is good to us. And they keep rates low when they need to be low. And they're going to make sure we all have health care. And that, that's a whole nother podcast. And it requires beer. For sure. Right. <laughs> all right. So let's let's talk about then about how this affected housing then. Okay. So, so you know, the other thing when we talk about the, um, what I would call like, uh, let me go back to this, some of the news media out there, because ever since this whole thing started with rates going up. All we've heard about how is that housing is going to crash. I mean, how many people have you talked to, Donnie, in the last 12 months that have told you, I'm waiting because I know the market's going to come down and house prices are going to go through the floor. And yeah, I've heard that so many times. And here we are 12 months later and we're still higher than where we were. Yeah. I mean, it's... Um, um, I, I don't ever want to be mean to anybody when they say that. Like, no, man, you're an idiot. That's yeah. not going to happen. But the truth of it is, it's very obvious. Mike was just getting started when we had the meltdown that we all hear about. And, and the younger people that are in their 20s and early 30s just heard their parents talk about. We were checking your pulse and getting a copy of your driver's license. And you stated stated like verbally right i make ten thousand dollars a month okay right. are you sure it's not twelve thousand yes yeah, okay twelve thousand <laughs> how much money do you have in the bank eighty thousand is it eighty or is it a hundred hundred twenty hundred better yeah seriously guys that's how we were making loans oh and by the way i don't want to pay these high interest rates they're at five right now that's ridiculous so put me on a three-year arm and i'll get four percent and then we'll figure it out in the next three years, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the two big things that yep. that happened then versus what's happened now, which it was really similar in the value of houses were going up fast. But I'll tell you this, look at me, look me in my eyes and say that and say it with me. If you do not buy that land to build your dream home right now, it will be more expensive tomorrow and the next year and the next year, and the next year. That house with the picket fence and the super awesome pool is not going down. Now, let me say this, and just, just to put a little asterisk, if somebody watches this three years from now, like, oh yeah, like, well, okay. China literally blew up America, that changes things. You know, somebody right. trade, you know, uh, a 9-11 kind of thing. I can't speculate on that. But understand that our economy is very very strong it's too strong essentially at this point and 
all of these things. Watch the movie, The Big Short. It's a great date night movie. They do a great job of, you don't have to be Donnie and Mike that do this every day to really understand what happened in the mortgage business, in the mortgage industry. We are making good loans. As a matter of fact, one of our clients has closed a loan in the last uh, year, two, three. Uh, just let people know how much stuff we verify. We verify everything. We yeah. didn't even used to verify if you filed your taxes. They said, yeah, here's my taxes right here. Cool. Yeah. Looks good. You think you filed them with it? The, it don't matter. Just it's fine. So I, I my my take on that, I get I get heightened because I lived the the subprime adjustable rate, stated income, stated asset, don't check your credit score days. We're making so much better loans, and those bad loans are what sh shut everything down. Last well, and the default rate is, I mean, it's still, I think it's still less than one percent right now. It's it, less it, than it's ever been. Yeah, it's you the know, lowest it's ever been on, especially when you've got two and three percent rates, which is what I think I read the other day. It was ninety nine percent of people that have a mortgage right now have an interest rate less than six percent. Ninety nine percent. Yeah, that's yeah, insane. Yeah. So, but don't you don't have to take our word for it. Here, we're, I'm going to show you. We're going to show you exactly why. So, <laughs> one of the one of the narratives that go that you hear often is you hear the median home price is declining. Right, you hear about the price of homes are going down. Okay, I love well. This, by the way. Let's let's look at that and let's understand what that means. And again, thank you, Barry Habib, MBS Highway. This is where we get all this stuff from. But it was reported just recently in February that the median home price was was headed downward. Well, what is the median home price is the average price of homes that are sold. Okay. It's not appreciation. Appreciation is very different. Yes. Yes. You in the corner. What can I no, do for you? Median is the middle number. Yes. Sorry. So if you've yeah. got uh, a one, a two, a seven, that's my fifth number, a yeah. 20 and a hundred. The median is the seven. Whatever the number in the middle of all the numbers is median. So right. It's not so the average. The mix of homes that are being sold has changed quite a bit in the last 12 months. And that's why you see that number coming down because you can see right here when you look at these different prices, 750,000 to a million, well, that's down 0.2%. Not a lot, but still down, right? The uh, the five hundred thousand to seven hundred fifty thousand, that's down 0.6 percent. But when you look down here at these lower price homes, they are up. And the reason for that is a couple of things. Number one is when the market was tight and everybody in the planet was trying to buy a house when rates were two percent. If you had a VA loan or an FHA loan or any kind of government deal that you were that you were trying to offer USDA. You weren't even being considered. It wasn't, you weren't even being factored in because they had 25 other offers. 10 of them were cash and 10 of them were going to pay conventional overvalue. So you weren't getting it right. So when the market shifts away from these higher priced homes, because you know, the interest rate on a $750,000 house, when it goes from 300 or 3% to 6%, that makes a huge difference on the payment. But the difference on the payment from a hundred and twenty or $250,000 house from 3% to 6% isn't as significant. And so those homes are in higher demand because people that weren't able to purchase homes prior during the market craziness now have an opportunity. And those are usually going to be lower price homes because those are the type of buyers that are buying those properties. There's not a lot of movement in, you know, and uh, by the way, as we say all this, understand that real estate is very, very local. Okay. For it sure. very much depends on your market. <clears throat> yeah. And go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say the, the main thing with this slide is the median pr uh, price of a house. Um, 
is that there are there were less of the larger homes right. sold and right. more of the smaller homes. Correct. Part of that can be boomers going away and Gen Z and freaking uh, with millennials coming into the marketplace because those guys are not buying unless they're you know a, what is it influencer and all of a sudden they just make a bazillion dollars. Yeah, I made a video today. My my daughter wants to be an influencer, even though we got her highly educated. Yes. She wants to be of course. an influencer. Everybody does. So, um, that, that's the bottom line in that one right there. But Mike, you explained it very well. So next thing we got existing home sales. So this is closings. Okay. Now this is for the month of February, by the way. So, um, we're 14 and a half percent up from January to February. That means home sales, existing homes, the number of homes sold have gone up 15% almost from January to February. Now, if you look year over year where we go from last January to this January or last February to this February, overall, it's still down, right? But you also have to remember, we were literally living in the craziest, busiest housing market that we've ever seen in the history of the world. And, and we are down 22% now from February of last year as opposed to 37. So we literally have cut that number in half from where we were because we're entering into the spring and summer buying season and rates are starting to come down and settle in and activity is increasing. That's so, very easy to explain on that top line. Literally yes. people were lining out the door for every single house to do it. And rates were a lot, three, 4% let two or three, well, let's see, seven, three, five. They were at least two and a half to three and a half percent. They were half less. as much. They were half yeah. as much. As now, less. Rates are higher, and oh, by the way, it's winter time. You mentioned springtime. I mean, we're going to show a graph here in a second. I think about yep. the lag in the winter time, and as it starts to ramp up. By the way, right now. So let's pause. If you're watching the show and you've got a little deal about, hey man, I might be in the market. You know, like you know what? This makes sense because uh, I saw Donnie sign when I drove by the other day. Even though this is a Texas deal. I saw Donnie sign that said, Dave Ramsey said, buy the house now, refinance it later. This is Dave Ramsey, the most conservative financial guru in the history of the world. Buy the house now because it's going up. So now is the time. And there's another little graph that talks about how, where is the bottom, right? The bottom of this little lull that we're in. Let me show you. Okay. Here we go. We'll get into it. All right. So we got that. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So this is just one other thing before we show this, because this plays a role into what we're about to talk about, is inventory. How many houses are available for sale? What is available? You know, because that makes a huge difference. Okay. So they say right now we have two and a half months basically of supply available. And by the way, a normal market is about four to five months. All right. That's a normal balance sellers and buyers market. So we're still way, way below that. All right. So, but I want to make one note on this because it's it's not as accurate when we say we have two and a half months of supply because that means that there are half of those homes are under contract. They are currently under contract. They are not, not available. They are not available to purchase. Okay. The only homes that are available to purchase, we have 578,000 listings available. That's one and a half months of supply. Okay. That's available for you to go out and buy right now. All right. That is incredibly low. Solo that I'll let Donnie explain this one right here. 
Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> so that that lag, let me get my bearings here. So let's go to January of 2018. It was a little over a million. Right well, here. Sure enough, by July, it's at a million three. Yes. And then January of 2019, it yes. was about a million one. That's and the seasonal see, adjustments can, that move up and down. You can literally see the winter time and every the summer month. time in or every year. The yes. low part of the wave is the winter time. The high part is the summertime. Correct. But, but just understand that now is the perfect time to buy a house. And the reason is because we are, we are going from, Okay, you remember, they were lined up out the door to, oh my gosh, builders are quitting building houses because they can't sell them. Just literally a few months in the rearview mirror, just like four months, five months ago. Now it's starting to ramp back up where people are looking. Again, it's springtime. People hear about rates coming, coming back down and people realizing the housing crash is not going to happen. There are people that have waited till today, like they're making their decision right now because they thought it was going to crash and they're saying, well, damn, now I got to go buy a house and it's even higher, right? So now is that time before, because you think about it, as soon as it gets hot and the news starts talking about it and you see it on Facebook, all your agents, you know, Mike's agents out there going, hey, I got another listing. Hey, I sold another listing, another happy closing. You're going to see all that and you're going to be late to the game yeah. because right now sellers are actually Pretty darn eager to kick in a little closing cost. Buy your rate down. Just, just incentivize. Which, by the way, we're 12 months away from they would laugh at you out loud if you asked them to pay any closing cost. Well, and that was 12 months ago, and we might be 12 months away in the future right. for that happening it, again. It may be less than that, Mike. Yeah. If, if rates come down, let's just say around six or just below six. I think just below it's six. warm outside when that yes. happens, that's... Yes. Anytime from now till October, September range, it's going to go freaking nuts because of pent up demand. It's the dam of holding everybody back where Sally and Johnny, they've been married two years. They're living in their grandma's house that they bought from dad. But man, now they've had two kids and they've been talking about it for the last couple of years. Like, honey, we got to get out of here. This toilet is driving me nuts. We live on the side of the hill. Well, no, honey, we can't do that. Rates are up. And these houses, they're way out of whack. This is crazy. All of those people are wanting to buy a house. Sorry, yeah. I get so excited when I talk about this. <laughs> well, but the thing, too, is, you know, when you look at this, these numbers, okay, when they're talking about and this again, this is just what you hear versus the reality of it. Because, again, you got to remember when you're listening when you're watching the news, when you're clicking through the internet, the things that get people to click is is sensationalism. They want it to sound like the world's crashing because otherwise, why would you click on their link if they just told you, right. hey, another sunny day, it's everything's good, just normal, don't worry about us. Like That's just not how it works. So when they talk about inventory increasing, it is, but it's increasing from literally the lowest it's ever been in the history right. of real estate. I mean- so when it goes up 3% from where it was at the lowest level it's ever been, well, that's good because there's more houses available, but it doesn't change the fact that it's an extreme high demand and that that's why you don't see appreciation of homes, not median value, but appreciation of homes going down because it's not, because it's still in high demand. There are still people buying. We, I think we're out of the window of time where you could get you know, a really good deal 
on a house. I, I, I think there was a period of time, it was probably about six or eight months where you could get a house because rates were almost 8% at one point. So if you're one of those that's just like, hey, man, I understand how this game works. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to I'm gonna offer 300 for this house listed at 305. I'm going to ask them to pay for $15,000 of my closing costs so I can buy my rate down a little bit. And then I'm going to have a little bit lower rate than what the market bears out. And I'm going to have only have brought my down payments at closing and I get right. to keep all my money. And then in six months or eight months or 12 months or whenever we get to that point where rates are in those, you know, high fives, maybe low sixes, maybe even low fives. If we fast forward the next spring, then you can refinance that and you had that high rate for 12 months and that was it. So it's just, I, I just wanted to, you know, and the reason I had you here too, as well, is because, you know, it's hard to help people understand like we're, we are mortgage people. Like we, of course yeah. we want you to do loans. Mm. My wife's a realtor. We're in real estate. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Absolutely the elephant in the room, we're biased. Okay. A hundred percent, but it's not, this information is not based off of like, you know, just smoke and mirrors. Like this is reality. This is we're what giving it, you data. We're giving yes, you real data. Information. The one thing I'll think about, I was thinking about when you were talking about, it's a really, you're not, the, the good deal is not going to happen anytime soon. No. Well, it's one thing I like to bring up to my clients. So I'm just throwing my chair. Uh, one thing I like to bring up to my clients on a regular basis is the story of how I buy cars. Okay. I buy cars this way. I got one person I go to and okay. he finds me what I want. And I say, Hey, I'm trading in this car, right? So I'm going to trade you this car at wholesale, but I'm going to buy the car you're buying at wholesale or either way you pick. I will trade my car to you at whatever the retail value is. You give me retail value. And if you do that, I will pay retail for that car. Right? Okay. I don't want to get bit on both ends. Set, trade your car at wholesale and buy retail. Right. Well, guess what, guys? Okay. So, Mike, if you were going to sell your house right now, okay, it's kind of in the middle. Let's just say, let's just say it was a year ago. Okay. You sold your house. Man, they're gonna be lining up out the door, and there's gonna get ten contracts, and you're gonna pick the best offer. That is full retail value, yes. right? Well, when you go around the corner, you go to your favorite agent that you, uh, oh, sorry, this way, that you literally lay in the bed with at night and say, "Honey, go find me a a house." You're gonna pay full retail for that. So, good deal, bad deal, it really doesn't matter because whatever. If you <laughs> take this. If you're getting a good deal on your house, you're probably going to have trouble selling your house or you better have it priced right, yeah. which means a lower value. So somebody's getting a good deal on your house. By the way, good deal to a uh, good deal is this much difference. Bad deal to bad deal is this much Still difference. Still the same. Yeah. It's not any different. You can't sell your house at retail and then go find a good deal unless you wait a year and, and time it just right. 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 Yeah. And that's the thing is it's just, it's just one of those issues that, you know, we just want to make sure that it's clear that, you know, it's not something that we're obviously we're mortgage people and we want you to buy and do loans, but it is, this is just what it is. And we've been saying it forever because it's just the truth. The prices keep going up regardless of what rates do. They go up, they go down. It right. changes all the time, but the yeah. prices are going to continue to go up and you can Google any any graph you want to look online and it will tell you the exact same thing. Right. They go like this a little bit. There's a little bit of that, but it's mm -hmm. always like that. Yeah. So, and it never slows down. So then last thing kind of is, um, 
you know, we're going to be headed into a place where rates are going to come down. Most likely we'll see anything can happen, but in the next say 12 to 18 months, we're probably going to see something around into the low fives. You know, if we go into a recession, which everybody's predicting is going to happen. So when that happens, then there's going to be two things. One is the demand for housing is going to go up because rates are down again. And it's, everybody's going to come flooding the market, which we just talked about. The other thing that's going to happen is people that bought a house recently are going to look to refinance, right? So, Donnie, when you talk to people about refinancing, how do you, w w when someone says, when should I refi, Donnie? What, what, at what point should I do it? What, what kind of advice do you give I them? It. I love it when they say, well, if it goes down one point, I refi, and that's wrap that up in a bow. Yeah, and right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's case by case basis for sure. 100%. Yes. Strategy, right? Because there's a couple that came to me when they were newlyweds, and now they've got kids in travel ball. So, okay, so that changes everything. They don't want to be on a 15-year mortgage right now. They've right. got to just make cash flow, so they're going to slide it back to a 30. Or yeah. they need cash to pay off these student loans that will probably never be paid off by Uncle Sam. Or they're now needing a smaller house, so therefore they think, okay, well, we could do this. Or we could keep our same house and Airbnb it, but we got to set it up a certain way. So it's case-by-case -case basis. But the truth of it is, especially FHA just cut their mortgage insurance almost in half. I don't know. I'm sure you've. you've 36%. Yeah. Yeah. You've got it. So, so it could be just as simple as taking your FHA mortgage, streamlining it super quick, saving a little money on your rate, saving quite a bit of money on your mortgage insurance and call it a day. Doesn't yeah. cost hardly anything. Yeah. So well, we always try to case look. Case by case basis. And that's why you deal with an advisor, by the way, the name of my company, I made a, a total conscious effort to call it Prosperity Mortgage Advisors. We're not order takers and like, yeah, sign here or whatever, you know, take it or leave it, that kind of deal. I, I wanna be like your, your tax guy. Mike's the same way. I wanna be your hairdresser, right? Your hairdresser knows you very intimately of what you want. Sorry. That was a bad joke. I mean, I'm having a bad hair. You're, you're really throwing shade at me over here with the hairdresser comment, buddy. But your, your tax guy, your financial planner, whatever, you have those meetings with them and say, okay, Donnie, I want to strategize to maximize probably my largest investment, my largest debt into what my family needs. That's yeah. when the rubber really meets the road of why they come to Mike and Donnie versus just dialing up somebody and say, give me a mortgage. Because in that thing, they're vulnerable. They're, they yeah. are absolutely vulnerable to not having their mortgage set up to fit their family's needs. Yeah, we, you know, what I always try to explain when, because you're right, it is very personal, or it's an individual basis. It's mm -hmm. case by case on every single one because every situation is different. But ultimately, you want to look at what is it costing me to refinance my house, right? right? And how much. If, if, if I'm not doing an equity loan, because equity loans are different because, you know, it's a different need there. Um, but if I'm just trying to lower my rate, lower my payment, what is it costing me versus how much am I saving every month? How much am I saving on a monthly basis? Because, and then you figure out what the break even is, right? When am I going to break even on my cost? So if I look and say, it's going to cost me $5,000, let's say, to do a refinance, all right, that you add to your loan, right? right. But I'm going to save $200 a month on my payment. Okay. Well, now that's 25 months. So that's less than three. It's just barely over two years, right? Yeah. That you're going to break even. Mm -hmm. In most cases, that makes sense. Now, unless you know you're going to be moving because you got a job or something. But yeah. what I typically say is like, if you're going to break even on your costs, assuming you plan on staying in your home, 
for in under three years, then it absolutely makes sense. And the great thing about Streamlines is they don't really cost anything. So you can save 25 or 30 or 40 or $50 a month and it didn't cost you anything. So you're good. Um, But, but you look at what you're going to save. Well, if it takes three to five years to break even on your cost, then I would typically say, well, then you need to really evaluate how long you think you're going to be in your home. Am I going to be here long enough to make it happen? And if it happens, if it takes any more than five years to break even, I look at it and say, I don't think that's a good idea. And the reason being is because five years is a very long time horizon for life. Like you just don't know what's going to happen, right? So you could move, you could change jobs, you could do all kinds of stuff. You could refinance again, take cash out. It's just, it's just too far in advance to know that it's going to save. So just because the rates lower, right? Because you might have a, I mean, I I don't know many people that do, but if you have a $150,000 loan and you lowered the rate 1%, I don't know. Are you going to save enough on that? I don't know. Yeah. It's, you may have to get to like one and a half before it really makes sense. Um, but that's what we try to do is say, okay, when are you going to get even on that cost? And then that's how we evaluate if it's a good time. And what you have to be careful with, with the market that we're heading into is that the people that bought their house, it's, let's say someone's got a 7% rate right now. Cause there's people that do right. Well, if the rates go to five and a half, let's get to, they go to six, they're down at six. Well, that's the whole point. All right. Well, if I've got a three or four hundred thousand dollar loan, hey, that, that might be might be good. But what if it goes to five and a half two weeks later, or it goes to five and a quarter? Like, and that's where the advisor role comes into play because Donnie pays attention, I pay attention. This is the st- type of market that we're watching on a day to day basis to go, hey, look, I know rates are down and it does make sense, but here's what's about to happen in the next three weeks, and the market sentiment is that it's going to get a little bit lower. So just hang on just a little bit longer and we'll get you there. But that's, that's what our role is. That's what our job is. Yeah. We have a list in our office of people, you know, the literally when we're buying houses over the last really year, almost we tell people like, look, there is a good chance that we're going to call you up and say right now is the time to refi. And we keep a list of it. We know exactly where everybody's rate is. We know by based on the notes in the file, if they've got a kid about to go to college and whatnot, and then or, or about to move out of the house or about to have kids or whatever the case may be, right. then we have them on the phone quickly when it gets to that time to go over that with them. Because yeah. they, they may watch the, the news. They may not. Right. They may not keep up with it. Our job as their advisor and one that we do an annual review with and follow up with. Have you had any new kids? What's happened with that? Whatever. It's our job to keep them in a maximized loan product and loan scenario for their family. Yes. Yeah. And that's where, you know, once, once the market starts to shift, you know, and of course it'll be every loan officer on the planet will be reaching out, but you got to just make sure that the people that you, that you trust and that you know that have gotten you to that point are the ones that help you because they're going to be looking out to try to make sure they put you in the best situation possible. And that's, that's really what we're trying to do. So. Absolutely. Well, dude, um, we're almost in an hour. We're we're uh, right up against it. Uh, yeah, I know. In an hour? Yes, yeah. Top five <laughs> like, when you sell a prize. That's right. That's right. It's been like 55, 56 minutes. So um, I really appreciate you coming and uh, chit-chatting with me today, um, talking markets and rates and all that kind of fun stuff. Anything uh, you want to say before we roll up out of here? I mean, I, if somebody made it through the whole thing, God bless you. I mean, you know, <laughs> thank you. I mean, this is Texas, Tennessee, Portugal. We don't care where you're from. Wherever. Thank you for yes. watching this. I mean, it, yes. it's uh, 
makes makes two old guys feel pretty good. That's right. Hey, listen, I'm still very young. Okay, I'm I'm 44, so I'm uh, you're like what are you 72 now? How half old are you? I'm a half a century. Dead up. <laughs> it's the only time you can use. It's literally the only time when you're still in. I mean, you could do a century old, but you're not having any fun at 100, right? But it's maybe hey, time. we're getting there. Aliens might help us out getting well, get to that point. I want the there's a book I've been reading called The Great Reboot, where they literally take your liver and make it new again, like yeah. just make it grow new cells and all that. So maybe I don't know, but at half a century, you don't have to use a number. So it's like I'm a half a century. I mean, it's, everybody knows what that. Is. Don't you remember when when we were younger? How when somebody in their fifties, they, they seemed like they were like dinosaurs. I'm so cool at 50. You are. You are. You were, you're wearing a shirt that says three putting sucks. So how could you not I be mean, cool? Golfers, just if you're watching this, just confirm three putting does suck. Yeah. Nobody it's likes terrible. that. Nobody um, likes that. You know, no, I don't have anything else to say except right. y'all get out there and make it a great day. That's right. Well, I appreciate you, brother. Um, thanks for coming and hanging out with me today. Uh, miss your face. Uh, we'll try to get out there to the old Tennessee sometime soon. Um, I really, Land. really want to go get out to Mandy Land. Yes, I got to go play on the putting green out there. So I, I'm with you. All right, uh, brother. See you, brother. Thanks, man. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Make it a great day. Make it a great day.